Welcome to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. No theme music for this one. We return to a more traditional theme for this episode, now that I've got that language business out of my system. I want to talk about meaning and purpose. This is a theme that's going to come up time and time again in this podcast. We all have different backgrounds and perspectives. We share some things, but not others. We come from different countries, religions, ethnic backgrounds, you name it. But aside from the basics required for life, what is it that we all do have in common? We all seek meaning and purpose for our lives. We have an inner desire to understand what it is we're doing here and how what we are doing fits into the bigger picture of society, the earth and the universe. We pine for cosmic significance. Much of our social dysfunction, I think, the stress and ill health that we often feel can be traced to a lack of meaning and purpose. I say this anecdotally, but really it's no urban myth. I think it was the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche who wrote, a man or a woman with a why can endure almost any how. That's to say, if we believe strongly enough in what it is that we're doing, we'll suffer through hell to see it through. This may be our strongest quality as humans, or it could also be our worst. Like a dog with a bone, perhaps sometimes our passion when we believe in something is more akin to not being able to see the forest for the trees, like Hitler when he refused to admit defeat, or William Wallace's dying cry of freedom. At least, that's how it was in the movie. The power of belief in one's purpose often transcends suffering. A search for meaning is an intrinsic element of what it means to be human. The ancient Greek philosophers spent much of their time looking for it. Epicurus is perhaps one of the most misunderstood philosophers. He believed that the purpose of life was to seek pleasure. Even though this is called hedonism, rather than pursue a life of excess, the true Epicurean delights enjoyed by Epicurus were spending time with good friends, thinking big about philosophical questions, and not wasting time fearing death. He once stated, A fine piece of cheese is often as good as an entire feast. Although perhaps his most well-known phrase is, I was not, I was, I am not, I do not care. We can find many sources of meaning in life. I'm pretty sure I've found it with a good piece of cheese and a glass of cab serve myself. But in social psychology, meaning is defined as the connections between the self and the environment. What does that even mean? It means... We find meaning in things like identity and the relation between our thoughts, emotions, behaviours and our memories. When those connections make sense to us, we find them meaningful, we see them as giving our life purpose. When they make sense, we make sense. When we have meaning and purpose in our lives, we'll go to great lengths to maintain and defend it. We need a story and we'll go to the ends of the earth to live that story. Philosophically, meaning can broadly be thought of in two forms, epistemic meaning and teleological meaning. Let's unpack both of these briefly. Epistemic meaning is about how we make sense of our lives. Does the world we're living in actually make sense? Is there some underlying system of values, a purpose, a high calling or a higher being that we can use to orient ourselves? Epistemic meaning is found in our worldview and our culture. It's the fabric of the life we are living. Teleological meaning, on the other hand, is more personal. It's how we situate ourselves within that epistemic framework. It's about how am I making a difference? What am I doing with my life? And how is what I'm doing meaningful? It's all about me. 
our sense of meaning is derived from this combination of the overall purposefulness of life and our personal contribution to it. But before we go too far down the path of self-discovery, the purpose of this episode is to keep our focus a little closer to home, because I want to talk about meaning as it applies to work. Finding meaning and purpose in work is the domain of industrial and organizational psychology. The content for this episode is drawn from the book Applied Social Psychology, which was edited by Kieran O'Doherty and Darren Hodges. And specifically, I'm drawing on a chapter which was titled Social Cognition in the Workplace, The Future of Research on the Meaning of Work, written by Paul Mayer, Deidre Shah, and Eric R. Igu. Now stay with me, this is more interesting than it sounds, or at least I hope it is. The authors in this chapter in the textbook, they provide an excellent summary of many of the ideas which I've introduced in episodes throughout the uh, time of the podcast, a lot of them last year, ones like Needs, Flow, and uh, some of the others. Finding meaning and purpose is something which I personally struggle with continually. As an atheist, I don't have a strong sense of epistemic meaning. I honestly don't think there is a higher purpose beyond that which we create for ourselves. So I have to rely on a teleological sense of meaning to find fulfillment. I'm a humanist in that regard. Now I have a wonderful family, a dream job, I've travelled the world, I've ticked off many personal and professional milestones, yet somehow I often still find myself wondering, what is it all about? It's one of the reasons I started this podcast. I thought that maybe if I start to articulate my thoughts on different topics and can help others who may also be interested in them, then perhaps that will help me to find my purpose in life, like a modern-day Epicurus. Let's just say it's a work in progress. So when I read the chapter that I'm referring to, it, it really resonated with me. I began to understand why it is that we struggle to find meaning and purpose, not just at work, but in general. Or what is it that makes us unproductive and unhappy? And what can we do to try to refocus? So I'm going to share a few of the ideas from that chapter with you here. The authors write, experiencing work is meaningful, leads us to experience life is more meaningful. We spend most of our lives working, so it makes sense that if we can find a job or a career which is meaningful to us, then we'll be happier as a result. But what is it about a job that makes it meaningful? It can't just be the obvious things like helping others, such as in the medical or first responder roles. Such a view may even be naive, as some doctors may be motivated by money and recognition more than just helping people, and a first responder might just do it because they get a kick out of the action. In order for work to give us a sense of meaning, it has to offer us psychological benefits. These can be latent rather than direct, things like structure, collective purpose, and something I've discussed previously, a sense of identity. But work can also undermine our sense of meaningfulness if it is boring, if it doesn't offer us a challenge or give us a purpose. Work is also becoming increasingly precarious and unstable, and this was happening even before COVID arrived to turn our worlds upside down. For a while now, workplaces have tended toward a more casual workforce. Unions are becoming few and far between, and those that still exist have even less influence. A neoliberal economy has turned responsibility over to individuals at the cost of the collective. Now, we haven't kicked and screamed about this for the most part, as we value our freedom. But if we fall by the wayside and are left to fend for ourselves when life or work takes a turn for the worst, often for reasons outside of our control like COVID, then we're left to figure it out on our own. So how can we find meaning and purpose at work when work can be so precarious and the ties that bind us to our employment are so fickle? Long gone are the days when you would get a job straight out of school or university and stay there for your entire working career, 20, 30 or 40 years. 
to fortify ourselves against uncertainty and a lack of meaning in one domain, we will look for it elsewhere. Compensating for a lack of meaning and purpose is natural. It's known as fluid compensation. This means we look to other groups, perhaps sports or religious groups, clubs or some kind of other organisation. We join these groups for camaraderie, support and to give our lives meaning and purpose outside of our work environment. We find other communities which we can identify with. We look for people that are like us or maybe we try to join groups with people whose uh, values, the, the members of the groups have values which we aspire to. Now this is a good thing, providing those groups and activities offer us mutual, sustainable benefits. But groups which are built on self-destructive behaviours may offer short-term benefits, but perhaps they're not so good for us in the long term. Are your drinking buddies helping you on your journey? Or are they just helping you to forget that you're even on a journey in the first place? Destructive groups will ultimately leave us feeling more lost than ever. Beyond just fluid compensation, though, we also employ other psychological strategies to fortify ourselves against change, uncertainty, and threats to meaning. We tend to exaggerate threats to the way that we see the world because we create, uh, we crave structure and we can become agitated and aggressive when things are not just so. As our world begins to spin out of our control, we tend to narrow our focus so we can try and keep control of those things that are close to us that we do have some control over. This is often our home and family environments. Things that we wouldn't normally notice suddenly become really important. We get wound up over small things. And we look to apportion blame for our lack of control. We, we want to make someone responsible for our lack of meaning and happiness. It's easy to stereotype other people. This is where we get into issues of race and bigotry. Look at what happened with the Nazis and the Jews prior to the Second World War. The Jews became a scapegoat for everything that Hitler felt was wrong with Germany in the fallout from the First World War. Now, this is pretty big picture stuff, but it really applies to our psychology. Now, when we stereotype like this, we take our angers out on other people rather than turning in and looking at ourselves. These, are, these behaviors are often readily apparent to those looking, on the outside looking in, and we might not see them unless we take that time to consciously reflect on how we feel and why we are feeling this way. Few of us are likely to be in a position to actively change our work environments. But some of you might be. Some might be leaders within organizations who do have the ability to implement proactive strategies to increase meaning for your staff and reduce threats to their meaning. But even if you're just a, a worker, just an employee, you go to your job, you do it. These are, I'm about to give you some ideas, some strategies about how to find meaning and purpose and uh, ways that you can contribute to improving that for your colleagues as well. We'll get to that shortly. Now, the COVID situation has challenged many assumptions, and it's really likely to reshape how we think of work for probably a generation, if not longer. Back in the early days of the pandemic, as we were faced with working from home, I remember many people just thought it wouldn't be possible. Some people's jobs you can do from home, but I just can't do mine from home. There's just no way. But as we kind of got used to it, we were forced into this situation. The IT challenges um, were resolved, uh, Zoom, and we, we adapted to that new working environment we began to realize that, uh, well, actually, we can work from home. This uh, job was not quite as uh, office-based as perhaps we thought it was. And in fact, not just that, but suddenly we found that we were becoming more productive. We'd inadvertently found ourselves conducting this social experiment, which we'd never otherwise have been given the opportunity to try. And after we found that things were maybe not as bad as we first thought, and we'd got through a few false starts and embarrassing moments with our Zoom cameras and so on, 
then we realize that, well, maybe this is not so bad after all. And more than that, this is what I want to get to, is that we'd stumbled upon the strategy that organizational psychologists had been hinting at for years. It's called job crafting. We suddenly found ourselves able to choose when we worked and how we worked and who we worked with and how to manage our tasks. We didn't have someone breathing over us. I mean, maybe some people had meetings they had to be at and there were expectations, but you had much more freedom than people had ever had before. Perhaps people started working late, but uh, they managed to be more productive in those early hours of the afternoon, or they worked later. A lot of people, perhaps they got more done in three hours of solid work when they get into a flow state than they would in eight or nine hours had they been in the office. And many people had to start doing home learning, which is frustrating in itself. So if you had to stop your work at home to do some home learning with your kids, you couldn't wait to get back onto your computer to start doing some work because it was an escape from the bloody uh, home learning that you're having to do anyway. So you came to appreciate your work and uh, that it gave you an excuse to not have to do the home learning. So all of this uh, gives us that sense of self-determination when we can craft jobs and our positions to suit our own personal needs whether we're a morning person or a night person or, or manage our, the context of our work around our own personal environments and what we like, then we take control and we can find meaning just in having that empowerment. Everyone likes to feel that they have control over their own destiny. So finding ways to empower people while still, still ensuring a cohesive team, it's not easy, but the benefits that can be gained from it, as I think we've seen in this last year, go far beyond those gained just by telling people what to do and how they should do it. But nothing stays the same. Sooner or later, and maybe already, we've returned to work. We have to go back. So how can we bring these positive elements back into the workplace? Now, many companies are sticking with flexible work hours because they've realized they don't have to spend as much money on renting office space and uh, their power bills and internet bills and all of those things have gone down. And if people were doing just as good a job from home, then why rush back to the office? But then it's also hard to keep people engaged as well. So how do we uh, find sources of meaning within work when we have a changing environment? So one, one way is to actively reflect on it. We can seek out meaning by actively taking the time to find it. So one strategy that was employed in a study that was described in this chapter I'm referring to was uh, where in a workplace, time was taken to with employees to actively sit down. Perhaps uh, I think they did it daily, but you could do it once a week find maybe a, a period of time that suits, and then identify how something that you did contributed to the success of your team or the project you're working on, or perhaps the wider business. And identify with those around you how it is that you and your team is making a difference. Now, when you can narrativize your contribution in this way and actively reflect on it, suddenly you realize, actually, you're doing more than you thought you might have been. And uh, it's not about showing your boss, look, what I've been doing. It's about convincing yourself where you fit into the bigger picture. There's a story of a politician. I mean, this is not the actual story, but this is the best I can remember. It's sort of a version of this anecdote that, say, a politician was walking through the halls at the NASA Johnson Space Center back in the 1960s, and he walked past a janitor, a cleaner, and he stopped to ask him what it was he did at NASA. And the janitor looked up and he said, I'm helping to send man to the moon. And this serves as an awesome example of how an organization which works really hard to build a culture of, and values and that sense of mission and purpose in its employees can transfer right throughout the organization. So regardless of how large or small the individual contribution is, they feel like they're part of something. This guy, his job was to keep the place clean, but by his small piece in the puzzle was helping to send man to the moon. I thought that was pretty cool. 
building culture in this way provides that epistemic meaning, which I talked about at the start. It's that, why are we doing this? And it also gives us the teleological meaning. Why am I doing this? A strategy which perhaps you could use for yourself or can implement in your workplace if you have the uh, leadership role to do so, is to take that active reflection on your own work. What it, why is it important? And not only why is it important for your work, but why is it important to you personally? How are you employing this in your life? Ask yourself, how is this work contributing to making you a better person or the organization that you're working for better? It's easy to question the point of it all, but that's because we don't often ask the question. So I recommend just try it. Sit down and write down the ways in which what you're doing with your life through work or otherwise is meaningful and helping you on your journey. Now, we don't normally do this until we're put under pressure to do so. But think of how readily we become defensive when our decision making is questioned. If someone unexpectedly takes us to task, our natural reaction is to defend our judgment, our choices and our decision making. Whether we began with a well-formed rationale for behaving as we did is it becomes irrelevant because we'll quickly make up a story that supports the actions that we took. It's what we do. We narrativize everything. So use this aspect of your psychology to help you to find meaning by getting defensive about the value of your work. Imagine if your boss or a colleague said to you, what is it you even do around here? I'm sure you'll suddenly find many reasons for why your work is important. We do always want to minimize that threat to our own existence, so use it to empower yourself. But even more powerful than this intrinsic behavior is the validation and inspiration which we get from others. When someone comments on your work positively, it injects you with a boost of pride and enthusiasm. Every time you go into McDonald's, have a look on the wall and you'll see a picture of the latest employee of the month smiling away. McDonald's has been doing this forever. Such a small act of recognition instills pride and meaning in that individual because they know that their contribution is valued. And we can achieve much the same thing by engaging in those micro-sense-making moments where we acknowledge the work of each other. We build our self-perspective, how we see ourselves, by taking cues from our social interactions. An intentional act by a co-worker to recognize our works helps us to reach the conclusion that we really are making a difference. This supports our teleological meaning-making system through the feeling of belonging and of being part of something bigger than ourselves. When people recognize our contributions, it makes us feel like everything makes sense. You know, I am worth something. I am uh, contributing something. And it's kind of ironic that you also have this power to impact the meaning-making circuits of others and helping them to become more engaged by doing the same thing for them. And the more that you inspire them, the more they'll inspire you. So rather than only thinking of how we can find meaning ourselves, looking internally, think about how you can help others to find their source of meaning and sit back and bask in the reflection as uh, it has a positive spin-off on you. We're facing a lot of challenges. Many of you listening to this may have lost your jobs or your job may even be under threat right now. And I'm really sorry about that. I think uh, many people are at a crossroads. Roads. I've been talking about this a little bit lately with people, particularly in my industry in aviation. I mean, there's been literally hundreds or thousands of pilots who are out of work right now. And they've been forced into a situation where something that they've worked so hard for so long to, to, um, to get into this industry, and they've risen the ladder, and literally overnight, they're discarded. What, what can they do now? You know, they're highly qualified people, very passionate about what they do. And suddenly they're looking for to make ends meet any way they can. 
how do you find a sense of meaning and purpose when your identity has been stripped away from you, when you're, you're left wondering why you'd poured all your heart and energy, heart and soul into something which is so fickle and it could be taken away like that? So listening to some of these strategies, you might be thinking, well, these are just beyond me, that my hierarchy of needs is about putting food on the table. It's not about trying to find meaning and purpose. I've just got to survive. But finding meaning and purpose really, I think, is perhaps no more important than right now when our sense of meaning is most under threat, because we have the power to talk ourselves into or out of anything. It's all in how we frame our circumstances. Whether we perceive ourselves as a victim of a cruel world or take these setbacks as opportunities to learn and grow is very much determined by our perception and how we see our place in the world. Life is hard, and it's been particularly hard lately, but strength comes from working under a heavy load. We've just got to keep working. So perhaps use these opportunities as a time to try and find a stronger sense of meaning and purpose beyond the uh, environment that you've just come from or that you might be facing right now. Sometimes we do lose our sense of meaning and purpose. As I said earlier, I mean, for me, I'm always searching for it. But we can work with our psychology to help us to find it. Now, it will wax and wane throughout our lives as every emotion does. But helping others to believe in themselves and their work and looking at the small ways in which we can contribute for others to find their source of meaning can also help us to find it for ourselves. This is not the end of the story. It's just one perspective. It's just one chapter and a theme about meaning and purpose, which I'll continue to revisit. These are a few ideas which I felt I'd like to express to you right now, now that I've put this language series behind me. I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with me to talk about how you've found meaning in your life or if you're struggling to find it. Give me a shout. Get in touch. Let's talk about it. I want to help you find your meaning and purpose as well. Meaning and purpose is often found when we share the burden together, when we join together in the pursuit of something bigger than ourselves. So get in touch. Let's find our sense of purpose and meaning together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Here and Now podcast or Twitter at Here Now podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to keep up to date with all of the latest episodes. And if you want to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon or leave a review at the Apple Podcasts app. You can reach out to me via the pages or email theherenow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. <music>